Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It is uh, very good to be here, very good to be together. Um, it is, I know uh, uh, in Leland, um, they were able to see that last little part. Newburn, um, I don't believe you were, but we were talking. Uh, Javi's one of our pastors here uh, in this campus and does amazing work. Um, but when they talk about translating uh, my messages into Spanish, uh, that's pretty miraculous, isn't it? <laughs> Um, not only do I speak fast, in fact, last week we were talking, uh, Wayne and some of the guys over here, and I used the, the, the story from Journey. She had to go find another song that would like be more known. And so I get all these, these notes uh, on my phone. And so I've been listening to uh, Spanish 80s pop music uh, all week long because of that. So um, <clears throat> it is, it's, it's, it's amazing. And then this is part of why this matters to who we are um, as, as a church. And other campus probably can't see, but Joey's over here translating uh, into sign language. And so I try to be mindful of how fast I go. Joey, am I doing okay today? Okay. <laughs> so he has to just make stuff up uh, so that, um, but, but this is, these are the kind of questions um, as a people. It's not how, how cool are our programs or what, it's what are we willing to care about? Like that's when we talk about reach, we're talking about what are we willing to care about? And one of the things, I mentioned this over and over again, but one of the things we've worked so hard over the last, uh, you know, really five years or more is to get our, our mindset out of being programmatic in the way we think about reaching people and start to get really personal in the way we think about reaching people. We've, we've toyed with this and tinkered with this over the years, but to really start to break some of those ideas and we're talking about this idea of, of connection. And we've been kind of drawing this like this, the way in which we connect um, with each other and this space in between that allows us to actually, you know, be known, be seen, be heard, be valued. And it's, it's, it's the way in which you and I learn how to connect with each other. And one of the things that we're learning, and this is in, Philemon 1.6, we looked at this last week, this passage of this letter from Paul. And he says, um, he writes this, he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith. Some versions say, I pray that the, 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 the sharing of your faith. But it really should read like this. I pray that the partnership with us in the faith, there's something that we share with each other, may be effective in deepening your understanding, our understanding of every good thing we have in Christ, or this translation says, for the sake of Christ. And we, we read these passages and I think we go, okay, this is kind of cool, but we don't really like kind of mine them down. And what it basically says is that whatever it is that we share together is what is going to deepen our relationship. It's gonna be the source and the strength or whatever is the source is gonna be the strength and the depth of the connections of the relationships that we experience with one another. And this is the idea of what we're willing to care about. It's one thing to go, oh, are, you, are your needs taken care of? Is that or, to, to sort of provide something that allows someone to get by or to participate? It's another thing to know them and to have that shared sense of whatever happens between two humans to deepen 
our devotion to them, our care for them, our concern for them, what we know about them, what we want to know about them. So this, is, this isn't just about going, are you good? Are you good? No, we're good. It's like really us beginning to share something about ourselves and of ourselves with one another. And the reality is, is this comes, you know, if you go back, and this is why I always start in the garden. In the garden, there were these two trees. And I'm not gonna draw trees right now because I just don't feel like it. No other reason. Do you know what the very first, the divine command that God gave to Adam when he put him in the garden, you know what he said to him? First command? Was it positive or negative? It's positive. Most people think that the first thing God did is said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first thing he said was he put him in the garden and he said, you're gonna exercise dominion and of any tree in the garden, you are free to eat. You can have the run of the mill of anything that you see, including this tree in the middle, which is called what? The tree of life. You've been to Animal Kingdom, right? You've seen this? <clears throat> it's actually a pretty good metaphor for how this is set up for us in the scriptures. This is this place in the center or at the top or, or in this place where, um, by which it, it's the symbol, it's the idea that this is from which everything else flows. And what's interesting about this, the tree of life is not given as a reward for doing something right. It is just simply offered as a part of what God has offered us into. Like most of us have this idea that God is like giving us this cosmic test all the time to see if you're gonna obey him. And if you obey him, then you'll get this. It's just a part. He's invited us to participate, to share. And as a part of, but it, but it is interesting because the only way you get to partake of this tree of life is by obeying the command that he gave you. Do you notice this? Most of us think obedience is this idea that we're trying to prove something to God. And obedience is simply the way in which you get to experience what God has made available to you. Obedience is not some grin and bear thing. It's an invitation for us to partake. So you have this tree of life. And what God has designed is this to be the source of all the connections that human beings are gonna have to trust the life that flows from him, to trust his voice, to trust his rule, to trust his heart, to trust his kindness, to trust that he's actually given us, and he's given us capacity to rule and to reign and to cooperate and to contribute with him. And then he says, there's another tree in the garden and you can't eat from this tree or else you'll surely die. And this is the tree of what? <laughs> is the tree of knowledge of both good and evil. Tov and Ra, that's the Hebrew word. <clears throat> both good and evil. And what this tree is, this tree also made available another aspect or another way in which we could connect with each other. And that is a way in which we would know and be certain and not have a risk that our hearts would be broken or that our trust would be violated. <clears throat> Think of it like this. There are those of you, and you know that you're in relationships like this, right? Someone tells you, hey, I'm going somewhere. Your kids, maybe. I'm going to so-and-so's house, or I'm going to this particular place, or we're going there. And they told you that, and you have the opportunity to trust them, but because of technology, we don't have to. You can take a big old bite of this tree with find my friends, right? I know exactly where they are. And guess what? You don't have to trust them. 
Because it's actually easier to live without having to trust anyone for anything. The whole idea is that what we did when we wanted a life independent from God, we got dependence. We were free from having to depend on anything. We were also free from trust. The problem is that what human beings, what you and I want most, cannot happen without trust. It just can't. You can't have the kind of connections with your spouse. You can't have the kind of connections with your kids. You can't have the kind of connections with your employees, right? You can't be a quarterback and have the kind of connection with your left guard without trust. Because if you're always looking over your shoulder, you're never going to be able to participate and enjoy the way you're supposed to, the way you're wired to, the way you want to. And so all of our lives, most of our lives are spent trying to figure out how to preserve or to protect ourselves from having to trust too much. Because if we trust, we give up control. If we trust, we give up sort of this space. And sometimes for some of us, if we trust, or we have to let ourselves be known. And so we're gonna talk about some of this over the next few weeks. When I think about this idea of shared devotion, what it is that we are sharing I think of it as life exchange. Most people come to the church and they want and hope that they'll find community or a group of friends and that their lives will be changed. And that's good and you should change and we are changing, but life change is not actually the goal because life change then just becomes one more commodity for you to consume as a part of your attempt to do whatever it is that you're trying to do to get better or whatever it might be. The goal is to, is life exchange because it is shared devotion that deepens this understanding that we're looking for. If what Paul says is true, if what he's writing is that when we actually share, when we make this available to one another, that's what actually deepens our understanding. That's what actually deepens the connections and the relationships that we have. The phrase that I use often is in my notes is trusted formative connections. You need trusted formative connections in your lives. And it's always, you're always being shaped and formed but all the connections that you made, you were always contributing to, to, contributing to the formation of someone else in all the connections that we make. It's just how intentional are we gonna do this? When we t- think about this idea of connection we're talking about, the practice of connection is life exchange, just to learn how to do this. A couple of things to um, <clears throat> consider. It's actually interesting. You know, do you have anybody in your life that sees who you could be. And they're like, they they just refuse to let you be like complacent. The problem is the older we get, the less that goes when we're young, everybody's trying to make us into something, right? Your parents see it in you, your teachers see it in you, your coaches see it in you. When you get old, they're like, we just gave up on you. You're like 40 now, you should know what you're doing. And we stop growing, we stop having people who see us and call out of us. And when you think about that, right, for someone to look at you and to see who you're becoming, it, it's, it's, it's sort of predicated on the reality that there actually is some vision or intention for the kind of person that you're supposed to be. And we just sort of lose vision for this. This is why, personally, I do my one word and I've done it for years and we're gonna be ratcheting some stuff up uh, in the next little while. This will be uh, actually 10 years in December, will be 10 years since the release of the book. Uh, 10 years ago, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I still get stories and emails all the time because it's about vision, it's about being able to see something. So being able to see something. 
What if, here's some things for you to consider. What if there was a way in which you could be accepted in order to be known? Most of us are terrified that we aren't gonna be accepted, so we portray an image. And then that image is what people know about us and what we end up sort of subtly fearing is if this person really knew me, they wouldn't accept me the way that they do. And especially in our culture, right? That's, that's the mechanism, you just cancel someone. <clears throat> the reality is, is all of us believe and think things that are weird. You believe and struggle with things that you really kind of struggle with in, internally and it's, it's an authentic struggle. And to have to hide that only ensures that you won't ever grow past it. What if we could actually learn to accept one another and then like that would be the mechanism from which we were known? What if you could belong in such a way that you actually became who you were supposed to be, who you were created to be? What if you had relationships and connections with people, with a people, that the whole idea is that, that when you belong in this particular way, that's actually how you become. Most of us, you come, you learn how to do something, then you go back and you try to apply that something. And if you apply that something well enough, you'll become that person. If you become that person, then you'll belong better. Does that make sense? Right, and instead, what happens if you just learn to belong? Like if there was actually a sharing that actually deepened this thing that was happening to us? What if the way in which you are to become the way you are is to stop hiding and trying to get yourself together, but instead to make yourself available to people, these trusted, formative connections. It's like, where can you find such a place? What if this is the way human beings are actually designed to live? Like, what if we've got it all wrong? You think about this, most of us struggle alone because you know if you say something to someone else, you're gonna be either be in an argument or you're gonna, people are gonna look at you a little bit funny because maybe you have an idea that you've thought or some philosophy that you've held onto that maybe you grew up with or maybe it's just something that you developed or maybe it's just because you've had one experience after the other that confirm what you think. But if you say anything about it, right? People are gonna just sort of stiff arm you, keep you, and what happens, or maybe you have a temptation or some propensity to escape, which FYI, all of us do. There ain't a single person in this room who doesn't have some pet sin pattern that they go to when they can't take it anymore or they don't wanna take it anymore. We can just check out. Here's the thing, what I found in my life, and this is why I have people around me. Because when, when you began to struggle alone, you were only increasing the pressure of whatever temptation you're facing. It's all you do. You just make it that much more pointed in your own heart, in your own soul. And when you learn how to live with secrets, you actually learn, your brain learns how to calculate and to manipulate every relationship and connection that you have to keep them from being found out. You're gonna do this by default. And so whenever I talk to people who struggle with manipulation or struggle with, with addiction or some other version of that, you can always bet that there's lying and other things going on because that is the way in which you protect yourself. It's always, the, to deceive or to withhold is always the way you protect yourself. So we're talking about how do we break this cycle? How do we learn this? So, what we've been saying is this, and this is what we're talking about. 
this vision for humanity, for what we all want. And the way we've said this is that our humanity, humanity, us, you and me, will only experience this sense of connection, the sense of oneness that we long for as we become the kind of people that we're made to be. It doesn't matter if you're in high school, middle school, right? You are becoming someone and, and who you are becoming matters more than anything else in terms of the way in which you're gonna experience the relationships that you have, your family, your workplace. It's all gonna be in who you become. And so when we think about this as a church, as who we are, who you and I are, I think we have to consider that your wholeness, your own sense of integrity is about who you are and who you are becoming. One of the things that I do with, with my own, um, when I'm picking my words, I've already kind of started getting my word for next year, which is so odd because it's only September. But it feels like December and it also feels like July all in the same kind of span. It's kind of weird. But I always ask myself, why would I not want to be this kind of person? Why would I not want to grow in this kind of capacity? You ever ask yourself that question? Everybody wants to be more loving. I wanna be more loving. Oh yeah? Well, love is patient. Who wants that? Love is kind. There are times when you shouldn't be kind, right? We, we, when, you, when you begin to ask yourself, like, why would you not wanna become this kind of person? There are actually valid reasons behind it. Because some of you, you've learned to make your life work by being who you are. And if those things change, right, it's a threat to your very way of existence. And so you have to start to consider all of this stuff. It's who you are and who you are becoming. Do you have a, a vision for that? And maybe secondarily is, do you have another person in your life who actually sees that, who believes that enough about you to enter into those places with you, that this sharing of our devotion is deepening something in us. But there's a risk. That's why we talk about this. Connection is a risk. Connection is the way in which we're gonna keep just unpacking this definition over the next, I don't know, probably two months. But connection is, the, is for us to exchange life with one another as we learn to trust enough to live safely within the care of a relationship, of our relationships, of our community. And this is what we're asking as a church, as a, as a collection of people. Could we be that place? Could we risk enough to be that kind of place for um, one another? There's, there's, a, there's a real risk in this, and here's why. And I get it, because we all wanna keep <clears throat> in a distance from anybody who's gonna do anything that might make us look a particular way. And I get it. It's part of the reason I'm very careful in the way I present things from this platform. Um, because I understand there's a lot of things that are said. There are a lot of sound bites that are happening. There are a lot of things that can happen. There are conversations that you have about things that I do here. I recognize that. And I take that very seriously. I'm not flipping about it. Um, that's why the five o'clock is a lot more fun because it's not recorded. So you can just say it all, right? I'm just kidding. It actually does happen sometimes. But what you, what, 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 what you have to be willing to do to connect here is you have to trust us enough. You have to be willing to risk your reputation and your identification with us by what we do. You will be judged by the things that we do. You know that, right? Do you go to Fort City? Oh, no, no, because they, they, you know, you can, you can eat. But if you say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm a part, then you get judged by whatever it is that we do. 
but it's also a risk to us. You know why? Because <laughs> we get judged by what you do. How's that? People are like, oh, I know somebody goes to your church. I'm like, tell me who, because that may vary on who we, right? You know this. Because it's, it's, it, this is, there, there's no shortcut around this. And what the tendency in our culture is, is to align and to you know, uh, connect around to build oneness around the issues that we agree on or that we disagree on and thinking that if we agree on the, all the right things, that will be our unity. And what you are trusting is whether or not you or someone else thinks correctly about a particular issue. That becomes the basis of trust. Are those things important? Of course they're important. Are they most important? What I've learned in my experience doing this for a long time, not so much, not so much. Because usually when people are disagreeing, if they're really willing to talk about things, they don't actually disagree. What they've done is they've gotten pulled apart and they're defending someone else's position rather than having conversations that actually build the kind of shared faith that actually deepens our understanding. What I've learned in my journey is that I actually trust Jesus enough to get his way. If I'm willing to surrender to him and you're willing to surrender to him, he's gonna get his way. But if either one of us gets prideful or arrogant or condescending about it or sarcastic about it, all bets are off. And it's interesting because what people think, especially in the church world, is they lift, they're listening to things. They're saying, oh, is he on the left side of issues? Or is he on the right side of issues? Is he liberal about issues? Is he conservative about issues? And people say this to me all the time. I hear this all the time. <clears throat> and I love the fact that this isn't left or right, nor is it even center. It's not, I don't, I don't even care about being center. The, the reason that the people gave God this word in the ancient language when they couldn't really figure out how to describe God, you know what they said he is? They said, oh, he's other. You know what they meant? He's unlike anything that you're familiar with or that you can see or that you can compare him to him, he's other. The, also the word they would use is holy. And perhaps the reason is when people sort of enter in and they start to interact with people who are authentically trying, not perfectly, but authentically trying to pursue this way of life under the rule of King Jesus and his love for us. They go, well, he's not left and he's not right. Well, maybe they're center. And it's not because we're center. It's because at some point we're actually other. And the, the other actually means holy. That's what we're actually called to become, that we are a holy people, which means we learn to see things different. We are different. There's a wholeness to us. Our return to bear his image, the way that you and I live as his image bear isn't left, it isn't right, but rather it's other, or perhaps you could just call it Holy. Here's a quote from, for you. Like our new identity, our culture is received from God. He established his kingdom and he rules it as a monarch. That's actually probably softer than I would say it. He's a king, he's, he's in charge. It's not a democracy. As much as I love democracy. For comfort's sake, we humans may try to adjust God's ways to fit ours. Sometimes we even add the God label to our distortions. But God's kingdom doesn't bend to suit human desires. God's kingdom is as God is. 
It is an expression of his very essence. So the challenge in this is that the way you and I live and act and connect is actually representative or it is an expression of the very heart of who God is. So what does all this mean? Well, this way of life depends on the source of our connection. That's what it depends on. All of this depends on this. You're naturally gonna connect around people that agree with you. You're naturally gonna agree, uh, connect around people who look like you, who, people like, who act like you, people who share your same love for whatever sports team or whatever it is. But there's something else that we need to learn how to connect around. And the, the, the Bible word, the Greek word is koinonia. We looked at this last week. This sharing of our faith, this koinonia. It's, it's partnership, it's shared risk, it's shared responsibility, it's all of these things. And in John's letter at the end of the Bible, he writes this and he uses this word twice as he talks about his encounter with Jesus and what this means for us. And here's what he writes to this little uh, church in the first century, 1 John chapter one. This is how he begins this last letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the logos, uh, basically the, the, the message of life, this, this way of understanding where life is derived from. That, that's what he's talking about. And he says, this life, this way of life, and I love this word, was made manifest. It was made seeable. And the way I always think about this, I've used this before, but, but like made, to be made manifest sounds like, oh, we're making something manifest. Like it's very intellectual and very uh, cerebral and all that stuff. But, but to be, Bob Ross made landscape painting manifest. You ever watch Bob Ross, right? You know this, right? You get sucked in. And before you know it, not only, do you, not only do you love what you're seeing, you're like, I think I can do this. Like it just makes it accessible in a way. That's what it is. So he says, he goes, we've beheld this source of life and this life was made manifest and we saw it and we testify to it and we proclaim it to you as the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Do you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the way of Jesus. This life that we were intended from the beginning, that is to be the source of all of our connections, was made seeable and so seeable. He said, I think we could actually receive that. I think we could actually be a part of that in Christ. And this is what he says. We saw it, proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have koinonia with us. We're telling you these things. We're sharing with you these things. We're availing these things with you so that you might have koinonia with us. But, or and, or also, don't mistake this, that our koinonia is 
with the Father and his son Jesus. Y'all don't think that was as impressive as I did, did you? I get it. Think about this. Suppose you love the Steelers. Yes. And and therein, you're trying to convince me to be a Steelers fan, which there's been a lot of people who try to do that over the years. And what you say is, we're gonna share to you, we're gonna share with you, Mike, we're gonna gonna share with you, right, this, this beauty. We're gonna invite you to a game. We're gonna invite you to the house to watch. We're gonna do all these things with you. But make no mistake about it, right, right? We're inviting you to be with us, but we are with the Steelers. Like I, I, the, what we're gathering around is the Steelers. So if you wanna be a part of us, you can be a part of that. And this shared devotion, right, deepens something, it does in the relationships. And what, what, what he's saying here, what, what, what John is saying to us, and this is where I think the church really has to wrestle with this. And, and you and I have to wrestle this individually. Because at some point, we are sharing this with one another, but the whole thing hinges on where are you drawing the source of your connection from? And honestly, if it's just a bunch of theology that you agree with, all you're doing is gathering around the fruit from the wrong tree. And there are plenty of churches that do this, plenty of places that do this. It could happen to us. None of us are immune. I like this tree as much as anybody. Which is why the emphasis is it the first thing that you and I have to learn how to do. And listen, I've Honestly, I find myself falling prey to this over and over again. The more serious I get about studying and understanding and trying to put pieces together, the more I find myself going, oh my gosh, this is so, instead of drawing life from a relationship with Jesus. Like the pressures of ministry and teaching and the pressures of doing your job and the pressure of raising kids as much as we want principles to get our families and principles for this and principles for that. Most of those things aren't gonna push us to communing with Christ, to drawing life from him. It is why personally, you know, I spend um, the first part of my, my day, and it's interesting, I just had to, ref- I've had to go back in and kind of reflect on this and think about this and kind of make this a renewed priority to just learn to commune with him. Do you know why? Because the message that I'm sharing to you, for you to have fellowship with us, this invitation to us, isn't because we have a cool place or we do cool things, or we have tsunami or ripple effect, which all those are great things. But the reason that we are inviting you into this is because we share fellowship with Jesus Christ. We commune with him. We draw life from him. And we want for our connections to be built on that. And guess how normal and natural that is to you and me every day when we wake up? Not at all. I have more. I'm going to stop. I wanna invite you to practice, to consider. Our devotion to Christ is the source of our connection to one another because it is actually your own connection to life. If we're gonna exchange life, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being exchanging, being a fan of the Steelers or anybody else. I'm talking about that 
When I do <clears throat> weddings, and I'll say this at every wedding, I always stand there with the bride and the groom, and they were looking so good, beautiful. I said, man, y'all are gonna pledge to love each other for the rest of your life. They're looking at each other going, oh, you, you, yes. I'm like, do you know how long it is? And do you know what's gonna happen? And do you realize that he probably looks as good as he's ever gonna look today? It's only going downhill from here. They're like, I wasn't expecting that. You said this at weddings, people are like surprised. They're like, oh my gosh, where's he going? I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going to the secret. You want the kind of marriage you want? You better figure out where your source of loving this person is gonna come from. Right, right, you stole the punchline. <laughs> because if you, but what we think though, what we think is that this person is going to become more and more worthy of my love and therefore it's just going to come out of me. That is so much pressure. And people live like this. There's so much pressure on a relationship to be that for another person. And what you have to do is you have to recognize that there is a source of love that is so full and so free and so complete that if you can receive that and learn to live and commune in that, the only thing you have to do is just to give that to the other person. And guess what? They don't have to give it back. They don't have to give it back. They don't have to do anything because what you're trusting is that that person will also be so fully loved and so full and so free that they'll simply offer it to you as well. The problem when we talk about relationships, that's marriage, but it's true for all our relationships. Whatever the source is, is what's gonna determine the depth and the strength. Well, most of us think when there's a disconnection, what you immediately start trying to do is to figure out how can I connect with this person? And that's not what you do. Because when you're trying to figure out how to connect, you're usually trying to figure out what can you do to get them to respond the way you want them to respond. And instead, what you do is you simply say, what can I offer? If you wanna connect with another person, don't ask how you connect, you ask what you can offer. I have more stories, I'm gonna stop that. I told you once how it was. So here's what you do. Connections aren't destinations, they wane, they do. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're easy and the chemistry is good and sometimes they're not. <clears throat> Some connections are stickier than others, I get all that. But that only underscores the idea that right, what we have to do is you have to practice this. And so here's what I would give you for consideration as we get ready to wrap this up next week. Number one is what is the source of what you are looking to exchange in a connection. What are, you, what, are, what, are you, what are you offering? What are you offering? Are you offering evidence to get them to do what you want them to do? I've done that before. I do that all the time. Hey, let me connect with you. And if I do this really well, <laughs> you're gonna give me what I want. You have to be aware of what you are drawing from in the first place. How's your relationship with Christ? How's your communion with him? How, how, how are you seeing other people? All these things are important to this. Number one is what is the source of what I'm looking to offer or to exchange? And number two is what can I offer that might build trust? 
There are some times when you're desperate for a solution or something to be fixed, and it ain't gonna be fixed. And sometimes the best you can do is to get them to trust you that much more than they already do. But if you aren't thinking like that, you will miss all the opportunities to offer yourself in a way that invites them back in to what they actually right, want, what we actually want. And again, all the manipulation, codependency, I'm taking all that stuff and just saying, I'm assuming that's, you're dealing with that, but this is the way in which we learn to authentically connect with one another in order to say, we want you to have fellowship with us. We made no mistake about it. Our source is our communion with Christ because it is in that shared faith that actually deepens the kind of relationships and connections that we all desperately want and the world desperately needs, all right? Father, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. Um, it's risky. Um, I wanna be a faithful steward and I'm just gonna kind of overlay that on everybody. We, we want to be faithful stewards of what you've entrusted to us. The kind of character that you are calling us to, the way of life that you are inviting us to live. We would trust you enough right, to offer ourselves to the people around us, to the world around us, and trust that you would utilize that to bring about the kind of formation and change that you intend. God, we trust each other in that and continue to build that into us as we learn to live safely within the care of this thing that you are doing in us. So I ask this, Father, according to your promises and of your son Jesus, who is our King. Amen.